to Psalm 119, and we'll look at the second strophe or stanza in the biblical poetry. It begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beth. There's 22 letters in the alphabet, Hebrew. And uh, this section we will call or entitle, The Word of God Purifies. The Word of God Purifies. Wherewithal shall a young, shall a young man cleanse his way? The word wherewithal is a word we don't use much more. I used to hear it when I was younger. You'd think of the, the wherewithal. It means the source of something, the means of doing something. So if you had money, that would be the wherewithal to pay your mortgage. And so what is the wherewithal to cleanse your way is the question. It could be translated how, wherewithal, what's the source? Where does it come from is the question. A young man here is throughout the Old Testament could be a young male who's unmarried. In Genesis 34, it's spoken of Shechem, who was about to be married, or wanted to be married to Dinah. That didn't work out because of Jacob's sons, but whatever his age was, he was called a young man. It's used of David in 1 Samuel 17. He was a young man when he went to fight Goliath. Now, most believe he was around 20. It's also used in Exodus and other places in the Bible to mean simply children or servants. And so the gender is unspecified. So by that, we know it includes a young man or a young woman. Although we don't know the age, we could assume the age based on youth and children. But here's the question. Is the psalmist speaking exclusively to young people? The answer to that is, of course, yes and no. Yes, because he speaks directly to the youth, but no because his aim in speaking to youth is to speak of timing, the when should you consider the cleansing of your way in your youth, not when you're old. But if you cleanse your way in your youth, then what's the implication? You're still doing that when you're old. And so the psalmist is emphasizing the timing to the youth. And of course, when you grow from young age to old age, the expectation is whatever we find in this psalm is still happening in your life. And so that doesn't exclude any person of any age this morning, albeit the psalmist is specifically addressing the youth. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? The word cleanse means to be pure, it means to be unmixed, unadulterated, but it can mean to be pure, to make pure, or to keep clean, or to keep clean. Okay, so, the Word of God has its relationship to the initial timing of becoming pure, being made pure. We remember in 1 Peter 1.22 where Peter writes to the strangers scattered abroad who were suffering. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. A pure heart 
They had purified. That's a perfect tense, active voice. They did it. You purified. You came to this place of purity. When did it happen? Perfect tense, sometime in the past. A moment in the past. It's not repeated. The word obedience means to listen to attentively. When did this purification take place? When they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They saw, they believed out of a pure heart, and they were purified, not because they all of a sudden became intrinsically pure, but because they were attached to the purity of the Son of God by faith, And Peter says, you purified. You were active in seeing and knowing and trusting Jesus. But then he follows with a perfect passive voice. Being born again. Perfect tense. At the same moment. In the past, what happened that when they were hearing the gospel, that it changed everything? They were regenerated, born again, and effectually called by the Spirit and the Word. To the saving of the soul. There is no one that is pure by an act of their own willingness to be pure and to trust Jesus, but what first they are born again. And so you're passive in that. You don't do anything because you're acted upon. And so initially... When we're made pure, there is a relationship with the Word of God. We see it. We believe it. And in that time, we are united to Christ because we've been born again. But here, the psalmist is speaking of the way of staying on that pathway. We've been put on that pathway by grace. The grace of God sustains us in that pathway. So the question is, how shall a young man keep his way? Pure. Keep his way cleansed is the implication of what the psalmist is asking. So the breakdown of these eight verses is we'll look first of all, the first four verses tell us about the how of cleansing our way. And we'll draw some conclusions at verse 12. So the first four, 9 through 12, the how. The second four, the psalmist is going to give us some ways that he committed to making this happen. And when I say make, by the grace of God, he had four commitments that he did, two past, two in the future, he would do, that then would be the basis of staying on the pathway of purity, a commitment that we need to make as well. So first, let's look at the first four verses. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And here's the answer, the first answer, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. The word take heed means to watch, to guard, to protect. So the first answer is how we cleanse our way. How do we stay on the pathway of purity is by guarding our way with the Word of God. There are two points to the way. By taking heed, by guarding the way of purity, the way, the pathway you're on, presumably, is to be guarded by the Word of God. Now, secondly, you can hear the parallel idea in verse 10. We said last Sunday in Hebrew poetry, they do not rhyme words, they rhyme ideas. So listen to the rhyming idea. How do you guard your way, guard the cleansed way, the pure way? 
Verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Now, this is an echo of what we saw in verse 2. Blessed are those that keep thy testimonies, that seek you with a whole heart. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not go astray. Err to wander from your commandments. So, guarding our way... The young man or the young woman that guards their way with the Word of God is using the Word to seek the Lord. And by seeking, the request is the result of seeking. Oh, let me not stray from the pathway of purity. What is the pathway of purity? Why didn't the psalmist say, oh, let me not stray from you? Well, he did, I would argue. Because when you stray from the pathway of keeping the commandments of God, you have strayed from the pathway of seeking God. And so the parallel answer to by taking heed according to thy word is that we seek God with a whole heart. And by seeking Him, the request is the result. We are kept from wandering in a way that's total, in a way that's final. From the Lord. Yes, we're prone to wonder as we sing the song. And even the psalmist ends Psalm 119 in verse 176 with the realization that he was prone to wonder and that he did. But the implication is that the wandering is not total and final because the Word is the source of keeping us on the pathway of cleansing because we are seeking God, not the commandments by the Word. You see, the psalmist is not a legalist. He's not a legalist. Now, sometimes people get charged with legalists when they're not. Some people are not charged when, in fact, they are. Jesus addressed the problem with the legalists with the Pharisaical legalist in Matthew 23. And it was a problem with the commandments as it related to the heart. Because the dividing line, again, for a divided heart is not the struggle that happens inside of us. The dividing line, again, according to verse 10, is what's happening outside of us commands... Versus what's happening inside of us. The heart are seeking God. Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the platter, but inwardly is full of excess and extortion. And what's the dividing line? It's not inside the heart. It's what's happening outside the cup and the platter versus what's happening inside. Now, why does Jesus use cup and platter? Because they were excessive to the point of cleansing or purifying their bodies. When they went out in the public, when they came home, they washed their bodies, their arms, they washed their cups, their platters. They were seeking to be undefiled or impure. But what was inside that they were full of? Where was the whole heart? What was full in the whole heart? Excess and extortion. Now, on the outside, they were doing some things that were right. Jesus said in Matthew 23, You tithe mint and cumin and anise. And then what did He say? These ought you to have done, but not to leave the other undone. Mercy, faith, judgment. So, to tithe... Mint, anise, and cumin was right. They were keeping the commands of God. But what was the problem? Inside of them, there was not a wholeheartedness toward God. There was no mercy or faith. But they were full 
of extortion and excess. So here's what Jesus says to do. You hypocrite, which means the dividing line is what's on the inside versus what's on the outside. You hypocrite. First, make clean what is on the inside of the cup and the platter so that the outside may be clean also. Now, clean is to be pure. It's to cleanse your way. What is he telling them to do? What you need to do is look inside of yourself. Look and see what's there. And recognize that you're full of something other than seeking God. Perventure that God would grant you repentance in a way that now there's something on the inside, a wholehearted seeking of God that produces something on the outside. Keeping the commandments of God. A legalist has a relationship with the commandments, with the rules, with the principles, rather than a seeking God with a whole heart that then leads to a cleansing or a keeping, a staying in the pathway of obedience, holiness, the pathway of cleansing, which is the pathway of keeping God's commands. The word wander can mean to stray or to err, but it also means to be enraptured or to be ravished. See, purity is to be set apart away from the world. And this is what makes us not legalist. When we're set apart unto God. You and I could be separated away from the world, like the Pharisees, with commandments, with rules, with everything in place, and yet our heart's not separated unto God. Seeking God. Which means then we would wander, be ravished or enraptured by something other than God. Ravished can mean to be carried away by a force. What is the force that carries us away from God? And what is the force that will keep us from being enraptured away from God. Well, let's look at the next verse to answer that question in the next two verses. Verse 11, he continues answering the question. How does that happen? How do we seek God with a whole heart so that we not wander? Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word sin here can mean sin in the micro, particular sin, but contextually, he means sin in the macro, in the broader sense of what? Departing from the pathway. See, on the pathway of cleansing, we're going to find what? Sin. We're going to find sin, repentance. We're going to find the struggle. We're going to find what Paul found, O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to find that on the pathway of holiness. But when we hide the Word in our hearts, it keeps us from the pathway of departure from God. And that's what the Word also expresses in verse 11. So the psalmist says, the way we seek God with a whole heart is hiding it in the heart. To hide means to conceal, to literally hide, or to store up or treasure up so as to cherish something. I have a storage shed. I hide things in there. Literally, I'm hiding them. You may have a storage room where you just hide stuff. But there's not much treasuring up there, is there? It's things you kind of forget about. 
you don't really cherish what's there. I mean, you have to go to it occasionally to clean it out or use something there, but your thoughts are not much on the storage shed or the storage room. But I have another room in my house called the pantry. It's where we store food. I go there every single day. We store stuff in our refrigerator. I'm looking in that thing when I'm there much. Why? Because there's a storing up, there's a treasuring up things there that I delight in, I desire, I want. There's food. So the psalmist in speaking and using the word hide, he means what? Memorizing. How are you going to cleanse your way? Well, you're going to seek God with your whole heart. And ask Him, let me not wander from your commandments. How is that going to happen, psalmist? You're going to memorize Scripture. Because if it's hidden there, it's not the Bible, is it? It's not the literal Bible. It's put there so that you remember it and call it to mind. Listen again from Proverbs, where Brother Jonathan read in verse 23 of Proverbs 4. Keep your heart with all diligence. Guard it. That's the same word. Take heed to the Word of God. Guard what? Your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. Out of your heart flows everything in your life. Years ago, people used to say, I've got issues or that person has issues. Well, when you and I have issues, the issues are not coming from outside of us. They're coming from inside of us, according to this text. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of it are all the issues. Out of it flows everything in your life. What kind of issues? Verse 24, put away from thee a froward mouth and a perverse lips put far from thee. Your words, those can cause issues, can't they? If we could understand from the Word of God that relationally... When I say words, I shouldn't say relationally. It's not because of what the person said to me. It's not because of the way that person treated me. It's not because they said something first, and that's the reason I said it back. Now, that may be the order, but that's not why. It's because of the issues of your own heart and my heart. So if you guard your heart with all diligence, what's the upshot? You'll put away from you words, froward words, perverse words, That people speak on the pathway of impurity. So it affects your words. That's the issues that come out of the heart. And then secondly, in verse 26, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways, there's your pathway again, be established. Your feet speaks of your walk and your works. That's two words that define who you are. Your words and your works. Your words and your walk. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And one issue is the pathway that you're walking on and the works that you're doing. Now the question in Proverbs is the same question in our text. How do you guard the heart with all diligence? Verse 20. My son, attend unto my words, incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Now, if they're in the heart, how did they get there? You put them there. You memorize the Word of God. And that Word of God, by which you seek God, and it keeps you from leaving the pathway totally and finally, the pathway of purity, is because the Word is treasured there. 
It's hid there. It's stored there. It's resorted to daily. It's used. It's applied. It's treasured. Because you're seeking the God of the Bible through the repository of God's revelation of Himself. Now, there are a couple of implications here. Not only that young men and young women, you're, you're hiding it in your heart, you're treasuring it, you're memorizing it, but parents, you are putting it in their heart. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I speak in you today shall be in your heart. And then you do what? Teach them to your children. I'll never forget my oldest son when he was about three. We lived in Maryland. We, we were reading the Word of God to him. But a pastor came and stayed in our home. And as he was talking to my oldest son, he said, I want to teach you my favorite verse. And he said, repeat after me. It was Matthew one twenty one. Thou shalt bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He repeated it. And the next day, without prompting, he repeated it. And the next day, he repeated it. And you'd ask him a week later, what's Matthew one twenty one, And he repeated it. Now, he couldn't read the Word of God. And I never thought about teaching a child to memorize the Word of God. But that taught me that day that children, even two and three years old, delight to repeat what their parents say. What are you saying, parents, that you would want them to repeat? Hide it in their memory so that they memorize the Word of God. And you know, even before they can say they don't want to do it, it's already there because you put it there. No, you can't purify your children any more than you and I can purify ourselves. But when the Word of God is being hidden there from a very young age, it becomes the empowerment by the grace of God and the work of God to do what? Put them on the pathway of holiness and keep them on the pathway of purity. Hide the Word of God in your heart. Treasure it up there. And in so doing, what's happening? We're guarding our hearts. We're seeking our God with our hearts. That's keeping us on the pathway of keeping His commandments by grace through faith. And that is happening because we are storing up and treasuring the Word of God. You see, in youth, it's much easier to memorize, isn't it? Now, you can still do it, uh, older people. You can still memorize it. But the point of the psalmist is, do it while you're young. Do it now. Parents, put the Word in their hearts after you put it in your own heart. And get them to memorize Scripture because it will serve them as they grow older. And then this last verse, as it relates to the how, before we get to the commitment, psalmist says this. Verse 11 again, Thy word have I hidden my heart, so that I might not sin against thee. Sin in particular, yes, but sin in the broader sense of wandering from the pathway of holiness. And then he says this, verse 12, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Now what's the relationship of the blessedness of God and the request for the Lord to teach him his statutes? In other words, how does this relate to cleansing our way, staying on the pathway of holiness? Well, a statute is a 
something prescribed authoritatively, like a rule. Now, in one sense, it's wholly unnecessary to ask to be taught a rule, isn't it? And why would he ask that? He didn't understand the rules. He needed someone to expound the rules. He needed someone to get out the chalkboard and eraser and say, let me, let me illustrate the rules. Like a parent who prescribed a rule in the house and said, you know, in the home, you know, mom works hard to, to cook and provide a meal, so whatever's on the table, we're going to eat it. That just, that's the rule. And so the five-year-old sits down, and that night mom decided to include spinach on the menu. And the child looks at the dad and says, Dad, I'm, I'm going to need some help here. Could you teach me how to eat spinach? Open your mouth, put it in, start chewing and swallow it. What are you talking about? Could you illustrate that for me on the board? I need you to expound to me what it means when you prescribe the rule to eat everything on my plate that I've got to eat spinach. Could you teach me that? No, what's the problem? What's the child saying? Could you teach me to love spinach? Isn't that the problem? Oh, the problem is not understanding the rules of God for the most part, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God that you abstain from fornication. Now, that old English word, you may say, what does that word mean? But when you understand it means no intimacy apart from marriage. Now tell me, who doesn't understand that? Does that need to be somehow illustrated or, or expounded? No. You need to be taught something that's going to help you abstain. And it relates completely to what the psalmist is saying about taking heed to the Word, seeking God with a whole heart, not wandering from the commands by being enraptured or ravished by a force hiding the word in your heart so that you might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. It's like the songwriter when he penned the words, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth through all its pulses move. What's the pulse? It's that rhythmic throbbing of the arteries of blood that's Pump through them. Wean my heart through all the rhythmic pulses of my heart. Spirit of God, move through that. And what is the rhythmic pulse of your heart? It's love. So he says, Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me to love you. Dad, can you teach me how to love spinach? Teach me to love you as I ought to love. Hast thou not bid me love thee, God and King? Yes, He has. With your whole heart. All, all thine own soul, heart and strength and mind. We just quoted that in Deuteronomy 6.5. He's bid you. He's commanded you. I see thy cross. There teach my heart to cling. Oh, let me what? Seek thee. And oh, let me find with your whole heart. Teach me to feel that thou art always nigh. 
Teach me the struggles of the soul to bear. To check the rising doubt, the rebel sigh. Teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. Teach me to love you as thine angels love. One holy passion filling all my frame. The kindling of the heavenly descended dove. My heart and altar. And your love, the flame. You see, the psalmist is not saying, Lord, teach me how to do this thing called your commandments. For the most part, God's commands are pretty clear, aren't they? No, he's saying, Lord, teach me to so seek you with my whole heart that my heart is the altar and your love is the kindling, it's the inflaming passion of my heart that keeps me on the pathway of holiness. And that's what he means by blessed art thou. It's a word that speaks of worship. In Psalm 95, it's translated kneel. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Maker. Let us, let us worship God. Let us worship the blessedness of God. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. The people of His pasture. He's source. The blessedness of God also means to adore God. He's the source of all that you are. He's the shepherd of the sheep that brings us to the living waters and to the green pastures. He's the shepherd that we can say with David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Want. The shepherd is the source of adoration. He's the blessed God. And we are the sheep of His hand. Both His provision and His providence are leading us to Himself. And when we see God is blessed, how? Because the Word of God is stored in our hearts. Out of that blessed view of God, we say, teach us to love you, God. Because only by love, only by love could we possibly stay on the pathway of keeping the commands of God. What is the superior power to keep us from being led off by force, being enraptured, being ravished by the world? It is the superior power of the blessedness of God. He is the fountain of living waters. He is the fountain of love and life. He is the fountain of light. Amen. And how do, you, how do you magnify a fountain of living waters? You drink it and you drink it. And you drink it. What is this psalmist saying? What keeps us on the pathway of purity is drinking from the Word of God as we hide it in our hearts in such a way that God is teaching us how to eat the spinach. And spinach is no comparison to God, but that's the illustration I'm trying to drive home. The problem is not knowing how to eat it. It's loving God. It's adoring God. It's blessing God. It's worshiping God. It's that inner experience of the soul that treasures God. And that inner experience of the Spirit is by means of what? The Word of God being treasured up and being hidden in your heart. Are you memorizing the Word of God? Are you taking in the Word of God? Are you treasuring up the Word of God? It will be the means to keep you from straying or being enraptured. By this world. Now listen to one New Testament uh, example of this. First John 2 and then we'll go to the, the commitment we need to make. 
to get there. This is going to require a commitment for every one of us. All right, listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. I have written unto you fathers because you've known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because the word of God abides in you. Where is it? It's hidden in their heart. They are strong. Why are they strong? Not this kind of strong, right? This kind of strong. You are strong because the word of God is abiding and you've overcome the devil or the wicked one. Those are pretty... Strong words, aren't they? Overcome is nakao, which means conquered. He's conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the Word of God abiding or being hidden or treasured in your heart. You're strong, young men. You're strong, young women, because of the Word of God abiding. There's two ways the Word of God must abide for this to happen. First, it must be engrafted, James 1. With meekness, receive the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. All right. If it's engrafted, it's been implanted by new birth. But you must now receive it from outside of you. Listen to James again. Receive with meekness what's already in you, the engrafted word. It's like oxygen in you. You have oxygen in you, but if you don't breathe the oxygen, you die. It's the same with the word of God. So what does James say? It will save your soul. The saving influence on the soul for men and women in you to be strong and to overcome the devil is the saving influence of the Word of God in you as you receive it from outside of you and you put it in your heart. Alright, back to 1 John 2.14. Then he says this in verse 15. Love not the world. What's the power of not loving the world? Your strength. What's your strength? It's the Word of God in you. Who's the prince of the power of the air? Who's the ruler of the world? It's the wicked one or the devil. How could you possibly overcome the wicked one? Now there's a sense, and which is true in, in the past tense, he's overcome. Because the Word of God that abides, the anointing that's in you, stays in you. But the saving influence of the Word of God that needs to be experienced is only when the Word of God is in you, is met with the Word of God outside of you by coming into you. That's when it's having its saving influence in your life. What's this saving influence? Don't love the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not inside of him. Now, world there in John's gospel can have many different meanings. See, If you read the word world with one definition, it's like seeing a fire truck that's red. Every time you see the color red, you say, there's a fire truck and you're going to be in error. John has at least four meanings when he uses the word cosmos. So what does he mean here? Well, we don't even have to define the word. He's going to tell us contextually. So if any man loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Well, John, what do you mean by love the world? That's an important question. And how does the Word of God abiding in us overcome the ruler of the world? So here's what he means by the love of the world. For all that is in the world. This answers why the love of the Father is not in a person. If they love the world, because all that is in the world. Now here's the definition. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. Now, did you notice that John didn't speak of anything objectively about the world? You know, when somebody says, love not the world, I'm expecting them to give me a list of things not to love. Not one objective thing does he speak of. Because again, the problem is not outside of us, it's inside of us. He didn't say, don't love your car, don't love your house, don't love money, don't love power. That's all true when they're loved at a level above God, right? That's idolatry. He doesn't list one thing for which we're not to love because the problem is not outside of us. The problem is inside of us. All that is in the world is lust, lust, and pride. What is John saying? See, when you love the world, you're trying to gratify your lust with whatever you can experience in the world. The lust of the flesh. We just make that to be the body. Whatever my body can experience. Intimacy. Drugs. Alcohol. Comforts and conveniences. All that is in the world. I'm trying to gratify my desires with my experiences of the body. Secondly, the lust of the eyes. I'm trying to gratify my body with whatever I can see. Scenic vacations, oceans, rivers, mountains, and cinematic productions. Or whatever you can see. All that is in the world. When I'm seeking to gratify my desires with what I can see, I'm loving the world. And then thirdly, the pride of life. The word life is bios, which is translated in 3.16 of 1 John as goods, possessions. It's the boasting of what I own. When I try to gratify my lust by the boasting in all that I possess. That's loving the world. That's John's definition. Now, if that defines a person, what is John saying? The love of the Father is not in them. See, the lust of the flesh is an inconsolable craving. can never be alleviated. And John's going to tell us why. And the world is passing away and the lust are passing away with it. Lust can never be consoled. You're just always left craving. Whatever you see, whatever you experience, whatever you boast in, always leaves you longing. Forever. Because the world's passing away, and all that's associated with it was passing away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, if John is talking about loving not the world, but the love of the Father, why didn't he say, whoever loves God lives forever? And again, my argument is, that's exactly what he said. Because you can't do the will of God at all until you see the blessedness of God. Psalm 119. Blessed art thou, O Lord, until you adore the love of God, until... You see God's love as all satisfying. You will never ever do the will of God in a way that pleases God. So how does the word of God being hidden in our hearts 
Keep us on the pathway of purity so that we are seeking God with a whole heart and not leaving God for the pathway of the lust of the flesh and the eyes of the pride of life. It's when the love of God in you, by means of the Word of God, is making you strong by satisfying and delighting your soul by that Word. Because the superior opposite force of being ravished by the world is being ravished by the blessedness of God. And that's what Jesus did in Matthew 4, isn't it? The devil, the wicked one, took him into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and the glory thereof. The majesty, the magnificence, the splendor. What was he offering him? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of what the devil could give him. Because he said, I'll give you all this stuff if you worship me. And Jesus' response was what? Blessed art thou, O Lord. Not those words, but that's the connection we're making. He said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou shalt what? Worship and serve, or adore, or bless the Lord and him only. And the devil left him. There was nothing in Christ to answer to the temptation of lust for two reasons. One, he's God. But the second more important reason is where was the Word of God? It was in his heart. He just quoted it. Because he was taught it from a young child. And he memorized it. And he didn't get out the scroll. And he didn't get out the Bible. He just quoted it. So what was the Word of God in him that made him strong? It was his pleasure and his delight in the blessedness of God. He's essentially saying, you pitiful devil. Do you really think I would leave the blessedness of my God for something as pitiful as playing in the sewer with you? And so, beloved, 1 John 2 is telling us the power of the abiding Word as we hide it there is the power of the supremacy of the love of God that actually does what? It is a consolable desire. It will satisfy. And it will do so forever. And so the psalmist is telling us, guard your heart with the Word of God. Seek God with the whole heart and ask God not to let you stray from the commandments. And what God will use to make that happen is when you hide the Word of God in your heart, you will see the blessed God and God is a fountain from that Word. And then what is God teaching you? Not just to keep the commandments. Yes, we need to be taught that. He's teaching your heart to love. He's teaching all your pulses to move with the rhythmic pulse of the love of God. Now on this pathway, there's still struggle and still repentance and still sin to fight against. But the psalmist is making the point of straying from the pathway of cleansing. And how do we do that? With the Word of God. Are you taking in the Word of God on a regular, consistent basis? That's what the psalmist is calling for in order for us to be ravished, to be enraptured, to be satisfied, to be content with God on the pathway of obedience. Now, four things, and we'll move kind of quickly through them. Four commitments we need to make then. That follow this. Beginning in verse 13. 
First two are past tense, what he'd been doing. The last two are future. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. All right, first, a commitment to declare the judgments of the Word of God. A commitment is a pledge to do something. How often do you talk to someone who's strayed from the Lord and you realize it was a lack of commitment to the Word of God? They just weren't willing to commit to it. What started as a commitment declined. And they left the commitment to hide the Word in their heart. To use the Word. Whenever you find someone that strayed from the pathway of commandments, you will always find someone who strayed from the pathway of seeking God. Now, how does this help? How does this commitment help? Well, first of all, I, I usually remember what's in my heart the most by telling it to others. In fact, over the years, through preaching and counseling with people, the words that I most remember are the words I declared. The ones I don't declare, I'm like, where, where is that in the Bible? If I can figure out one word, I can, I can search it. I don't remember those. I remember what I put in my heart because I keep declaring it over and over. That's one way you can remember it. We need to share the word with one another. And furthermore, is the psalmist not telling us that the pathway of purity is in exhorting one another to stay there? We are helping one another remember and stay on the pathway as we declare the judgments of God's mouth. That's equivalent to His Word. We're declaring it to one another in discipleship. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but what? Exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. What was the day approaching? Well, they were in the day of persecution. And it appears there's a greater day of persecution that was approaching them and near. Could have been, likely was, 70 A.D. The book of Hebrews is clear that he has that in mind out of Hebrews chapter 8. That was going to be a big day of evil approaching. A big day. What was going to help them stay on the pathway of holiness? Exhorting one another. They're going to declare the judgments of God to one another. Now listen, they're going to declare the judgments that make us tremble. Next verse in Hebrews 10. For if we sin willfully, after we've come to the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking for the fiery indignation of God. See, to leave the pathway and wander completely is to go out there where people are going to be judged by the wrath of God. Exhort one another when appropriately, when appropriate. That kind of exhortation is not always appropriate. If someone's doubting, if someone's struggling, if someone's boldly, willfully going to depart, that's an appropriate time. If you depart and you stay there, God has promised, God has promised He's going to destroy all those in the broad road leads to destruction. That's an appropriate warning. What do we hope God will use that to do? Come back to the pathway of purity. We're declaring the judgments of God. And those judgments at the right appropriate time need to be the judgments of what God has promised to all those that forsake Him. That's good for us, isn't it? 
A man one time was talking to a woman who was going to depart and live with a man, and she was going to be in an unlawful relationship. He pleaded and pleaded and counseled and counseled, and finally he said, if you do so and you stay there, you'll perish forever. Years later, she wrote a letter and said, that was the thing that brought me back. Those words stayed in my mind. And the Lord used the word that someone put in her heart. She came back to the pathway. It works the same with us. We need to declare the judgments of God and we need to declare the promises on the positive side of one another. See? And what was the potential in Hebrews? Drawing back into perdition. Drawing back. The beloved city that you love is not a continuing city. Hebrews 13. Here we have no continuing city. It's going to be destroyed. But we have a city to come. Let us therefore go outside the camp bearing the reproach of Christ because we don't have a continuing city. The very city they wanted to go back to, the very temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood would be wiped away forever because the, the priesthood of Christ, the temple, Christ, Christ is here. So beloved, we need to declare, we need to make a commitment to remember the word we put in our hearts by declaring it. That'll help us remember. But then declaring it to one another. We are helping each other. We need each other to stay on this pathway. Or we wander like a sheep. So God uses His word as we hide it in our hearts. And as we share that word with one another in discipleship. The next commitment. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. When we start declaring it. We rejoice in it. You ever notice that about yourself? You declare what you rejoice in. Right? We love to rejoice in our favorite teams, favorite people, favorite books, favorite restaurants. And we love to talk about it. If your team stinks, you're not talking about it. You hide from people. You don't want them to talk about it. But when your team is on top, oh, the joy. Of talking about it. Sometimes it's obnoxious. Sometimes people are downright obnoxious. But there's a joy in talking about it. So when we're declaring the judgments of God's mouth. Then we're rejoicing in the way of the testimonies. Not in the testimonies in and of themselves. But the way of God in the testimonies. As much as in all riches. Now I don't think. The psalmist is comparing riches to God, but he's saying, what is it that the world rejoices in the most? It would be riches. That's at the height of it. There are two ways you can rejoice in riches. You can rejoice in it as a prospect. You know, someone wins a lottery and you see them rejoicing and they don't have the money yet. They don't have the check. But it's joy in the prospect, in the expectation. And then there's joy in the possession. You know, it's in the bank and you start using it. That gives the world joy. The Bible calls that hope. Hope. The rejoicing that comes from hope. The expectation of future glory when we come into the full possession of the glory of God. That produces joy as we declare that to one another. The rejoicing of hope Patience and tribulation, continuing instant prayer, Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing comes from hope. 
because we have a far greater wealth and riches than all the world can offer. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt because he had respect under the payoff of the reward. And where did he see that? Through the revelation of God about the Messiah that he gave Moses. How do we see it? Through the revelation of God and His Word as we guard our hearts with it. So it's a commitment to declare the Word to one another. It's a commitment to rejoice in the way of thy testimonies as much as all riches because we're hoping in the Word. It's not a matter of saying, I'm just going to rejoice in it. No, as I hope in the Word, in the blessedness of God, that produces the joy of the promises of God. So without a commitment to the Word... We lose hope. And when you lose hope, you lose your way. You lose your way, you leave the pathway of holiness. Do you know somebody in that condition? They're no longer in the pathway of obedience because they've lost hope. They've put their hope in something else other than God and His Word. And now they're flagging and declining because they're not rejoicing. Whatever they hoped in has let them down. Totally disappointed them. So there must be a commitment to rejoice because we make a commitment to know the Word of God. And by hoping in the Word, again, Paul tells us, Now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, what? The Word that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We read the Word, we hide the Word, we treasure the Word, we hope in the Word, and the upshot is it produces the joy of our soul. Third commitment. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto all thy ways. See, when we're meditating, we're declaring, and then the rejoicing follows because now we're taking what's hidden and we're rolling it over again and again to see more application and more things in the Word of God. That's what the word meditation means. We're going to roll it over, because it's in our hearts now. We're going to roll it over in our minds and hearts. We want to see uh, greater ways of application and greater ways to see the blessedness of God through Scripture. And then what happens? You have respect unto all His precepts. Respect means regard. To reverence, respect, to have esteem for God. When you meditate. Why didn't he say read the Word? I mean, you got to read it to get it in your heart. He could have said, I will read the Word and respect all thy ways. Because you can read the Word in such a way that is, leaves your heart untouched. That's right. I mean, I... I've done that many times. Read a chapter for the day, closed the book, walked off. My heart was completely untouched by what I read. You ever had that experience? Surely, probably you have. But when I've just closed the book and sat back and started to meditate, the Spirit, through the natural means of thinking, meditate, just using your brain, He's going to work through that to give you understanding in such a way now you're seeing something you didn't see just by reading. That's the point of the psalmist in Psalm 1. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. 
He bringeth forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also does not wither, fade. And whatsoever He does, it's advanced. What's advanced by fruit bearing? The glory of God in John 15, 8. That's His prosperity. Now, He may be prosperous in the world, like Abraham, but what's being advanced by fruit bearing is not your bank account. It is the glory of God. But the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Why are they not so? A couple of reasons, but the one I just mentioned is what? They don't think about the Word of God. Surely an ungodly person has read the Bible. You hear it all the time. They don't meditate on it. They don't store it up and treasure it. They don't think hard about it unless they're thinking hard how to disprove it. It's meditation that the ungodly will not do. They have no interest in it. They don't want to. But they can read it. The Pharisees did all the time. And what did they never find in all their reading? They are they which testify of me. They never found the Messiah. All they found was their own self-righteous glory. So beloved, to meditate is to do more than just read it. It is to roll over the blessedness of God and what He said through the Bible in such a way that then we have regard, esteem. We have affection for God. And so, meditate on it. Think about, as Proverbs 4, ponder the path of your feet. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Ponder is to think carefully. And you'll have respect. His way. So commit yourself to that. And then number four, verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Delight. And of course in Psalm 1, I left that part off on purpose because meditation and delight are connected. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. That just means on a regular basis. Where is the commitment to delight in the future? In the statutes of God, it's the commitment to meditate in the future on the precepts of God. And the parallel is, I will respect your ways and regard them, your ways, your will, and I will not forget thy word. Why does a sheep wander? Why do people go astray? The word is forgotten. There are two ways you can forget something. Memory lapse. Well, how many times that's happened? It means you, you really care about doing something, you're in, but memory lapse. But there's another way of forgetting that the psalmist has in mind. It's the way that God speaks to Israel in Jeremiah 2.32. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Rhetorical answer? No, she cannot. You know why? She cares about her attire, the bride. She cares about her ornaments. But my people have forgotten me days without end. What's God saying? The kind of forgetting there is uh, not caring. Not just memory lapse. It's no delight. You don't forget that for which you take delight. There are any number of things I could tell you about myself that I just don't forget. I don't forget to eat. Very seldom is because I have hunger pains. It's mostly because I delight in food. 
I don't forget it. There are things you will never forget in your life. And it's usually because you care. You delight. Delight here is different than rejoicing. It's more of a subtle pleasure. Rejoicing is like exuberant, triumphant joy. It's like taking delight in your work, right? That's not exuberant. You don't go through the office kicking your heels together saying, Yes! I'm at work today. But you can have a settled pleasure in your work. Even the problems, you have a settled pleasure in doing your job if you delight in your job. And there are things you won't forget. Beloved, let us ask God to teach us so that we see the blessedness of God through Scripture as we guard our hearts, seeking with a whole heart. We hide the Word in our hearts and we ask Him to teach us His commandments. And then let us make these four commitments that if we don't make the commitment, it won't happen. And that's often the problem in our lives, isn't it? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I agree with that. But we leave here and the commitment is never made. Or it's made for a month or two and then we go back to the way we were. So let us commit ourselves to declaring the Word of God one to another, rejoicing in the way of thy testimonies, meditating in thy precepts, and delighting ourselves in the Word of God. For God Himself says, Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. No, He doesn't give you your heart's desire. He gives you the very desires of your heart when you delight in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the sufficiency of Your Word, and we thank You for the lessons in it. And so we just want to pray with the psalmist, teach us your statutes, which is another way of us asking, Lord, teach us to love you like the angels love. Fill our hearts with one holy passion. Fill all our frame. May the Word of God be the kindling that the heavenly dove descends to bring to our pulses. Move in our hearts. Move by the loving pulse of your name. Bless us to see the blessedness of you as a fountain a provision, a fountain that meets every need of our souls through the Lord Jesus Christ. And bless us through hiding the Word that we experience Your love in such a way that we are not led astray and being enravished and enraptured by this world, which is so easy for us to do, Lord. We are not strong in and of ourselves, but by the Word of God abiding, may we experience this truth, the strength of Your love May the Holy Spirit empower us in that way. And then, Lord, let us believe here making these four commitments so that we would commit ourselves to Your commandments and Your words in such a way that the Spirit is working through it to bring about the very thing that You require of us. May this be all by Your grace for the glory of Your name. And may You give us great delight in who You are by the Word. We ask all this in the name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.